Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. I've learned a couple of interesting little facts over the last couple of weeks. The first came from one of our clients who did some internal research on their locations. And what they figured out was that the locations that did their Ops Analytica diligently had 89% higher customer satisfaction ratings than the stores that did not. So if you want to increase customer satisfaction, the easiest way to do that is to implement Ops Analytica and start managing your locations and make them more effective, right? The other thing that I learned recently was from interviewing um, a director of training and culture at a very popular bar chain. And what they were saying was from all the research they were watching is that customer satisfaction is uh, one of the most important factors right now because prices have gone up, people are going out less. And so when they go out, they are demanding that they get what they're paying for, right? And whereas somebody might've given you two or three chances in the past, now what they're finding is they're only giving you one chance because they have a lot of options and they're not going to waste their money um, when things are more expensive. So it's a double whammy, guys. Right now, if your customers want more value, they want more customer satisfaction when they come to your locations and Ops Analytica can give you 89% better customer satisfaction than you have today. Thanks. Check us out, OpsAnalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I've got a great interview today. Please welcome to the show, Chris Williams. How you doing, Chris? Doing great. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm doing wonderful, man. Living the dream. Back at work after a nice long weekend. You know, it's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Chris, this is a super easy podcast. I ask every guest the same five questions. Um, And let's get to the first one because it's my favorite. Explain what you do today, then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. All right. So I am the director of training and culture for Wapon Sports Bistro. So what that means is I get the pleasure of, on the training side, really working with teams um, that are up and running, operating um, out there in all of our restaurants. So it's kind of ongoing training, uh, hourly training, team um, manager training, really kind of all of the above. And it's for the restaurants that are up and running. So we have a couple different uh, departments within our training team. One is new restaurant openings. We're opening like crazy, opening restaurants all over the United States, you know, looking, looking uh, worldwide at some point. So we have a team dedicated to new restaurant openings. And then we have another team that's dedicated to management training, and they they kind of take managers through the initial training standpoint. So where I step in and my team steps in is when a restaurant is open, we start to engage with what training looks like from that standpoint. Um, and then on the cultural side of things, so uh, it's really, really a a blessing to even have this department within walk-ons, but we are dedicatedly focused to culture and really operating the walk-ons way. So, uh, you know, I like to say that if you have a career with restaurants, 
and you've been a manager for a while or you've been a teammate for a while in any concept, you can probably walk into just about any restaurant and figure out how to do it, right? We, we don't differ in a whole whole lot of ways. You know, most restaurants, 80% of what they do is exactly the same as anybody else does. We all produce food. We all serve tables. We all have buildings. You know, we, we have to-go bags and everything like that. It all kind of remains the same. What that 20% is, is where we focus in on culturally. And that's when it's really producing a dining experience, the walk-ons way. And, you know, focusing on our on our leaders within our team, making sure that they understand what it means to be a walk-on and, you know, working with our teammates and making sure that our leaders are training them on how to be walk-ons, which ultimately creates a guest experience that's unique to our restaurants and allows us to, to really kind of replicate that time and time again and make sure that even though we franchise more than 90% of our restaurants, that a guest comes into one of our restaurants and has the same experience every single time so we really get to hone in on that as a team by training it the right way getting down the 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 competencies the mechanics of it but then expand beyond that and teach them how to do it and buy into it in the way that we operate as walk-ons so that's really where i focus my attention um within my career today now where it started man i've been in restaurants for over 20 years now and I started off as as a server, uh, as a as a line chef. Really, kind of worked in all the different positions throughout the restaurant. And you know, one day my manager kind of cornered me in the office and said, "Hey, I want you to take this manager test." Well, I was I was in school at the time. I was like, "Man, I don't want to do that." I see I see what you guys do on a daily basis, like. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to sit behind a desk. I'm going to do something like that. Well, you know, they, they, uh, they convinced me uh, to take the test and, you know, I, I ended up loving it so much. Uh, just the camaraderie within a restaurant, the, you know, the anxiety of it every single day, you have a new opportunity and it comes with new obstacles and, you know, it really allowed me to, to really kind of be a coach I, as a kid. My, my, my dream job, you know, I was always a big baseball fan, but my dream job was never to be a major league baseball player. It was to be a, a coach. I always wanted to be a baseball coach and it, which is kind of strange, I guess, for a kid, but you know, I really got to live out that dream and I've continued to get to live out that dream by being a coach within the restaurant world and, you know, building building the teams in that same way, holding standards accountable in that same way, building skill sets. You know, it's, it's really, uh, it's really is, you know, everything I dreamed of, of being a kid, just, just living it out in a different world than I thought it was going to uh, at the beginning. Yeah. That's awesome. What company were you working for when they wanted you to take the test? <laughs> so that was Chili's. Um, <laughs> I was with Chili's for 13 and a half years. And, you know, I, I owe a lot of the experience that I have today to the things that I learned from, from many different influential leaders along the way. And, you know, it's, it, it was tough leaving them. I, I was with them for a long time. You know, that's where I was washing dishes to start with. And, you know, I got to move my way around the, around the restaurant, but you know, it's uh 
it, it was something that at the time I was definitely apprehensive, but you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm here today where I'm at today uh, because of that manager cornering me in the office and uh, very grateful at this point. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, by the way, like, I think it's interesting because we're always, there's so much conversation constantly about, you know, staffing in the restaurant world. And I talk to as many people and I see restaurants all the time and I look at them, I get these guys are understaffed. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that this is like the right amount of people for this place. Um, or, but then you talk to people who are like struggling, trying so hard to find people, can't find anyone, right? Then you yeah. talk to other people and they're like, dude, I haven't had any turnover in three years. People love working here. Like, I just, and you know what it is? It's culture. Yeah. Like, that is the, that is the X factor. It's great managers who build a culture. I mean, you can preach culture from the corporate office for sure. But culture is not, you can't train culture. Culture is experienced through your work environment, right? Absolutely. By the managers that are on the in the field at the store level, creating like the way they lead, the way they treat their employees, the way they, um, you know, the way, the, the, the vibe they build in the building you know what i mean and yeah if you have a great culture people don't want to leave i mean yeah anybody can go across the street for a quarter you know and that's always been the fight in the restaurant industry is you know i fire you because you suck and you literally walk across the street and go get a job at my competitor like no i've literally watched people do it but you know what i mean like it's the culture that you build that's what's going to keep people there and 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 i guarantee you the people that aren't having staffing issues right now have a great culture in their store period yeah it's a uh, culture it's it's a tricky thing uh, you know i i talk a lot to potential new uh new franchise partners and things like that when introducing the culture and something that we tell them right off the bat is that this is not going to be something that just happens to hang on your wall in your restaurant. You're not going to have a mission statement or a vision statement that just sits up there and just kind of becomes part of the wallpaper of the, your restaurant. Like this is something that we're going to focus on living and breathing every single day. Culture as we define it is, is how a group of people thinks, feels and acts in a united way towards a common goal. And, you know, it, unless you, achieve that heart and mind of every individual on your team your culture is not going to live you know how actions and behavior are nothing but an outward expression of what's going on inside of a person and you know so when we build this culture when we find you know that that unity across the brand regardless of how many different ownership groups we have it all starts inside we have to get people to buy into it and you know, once we get our leaders to really buy into it, every single one of those restaurant managers that you're talking about, and they're living it out every single day, you're absolutely right. Those are the those are the restaurants that do not struggle with things like turnover. You know, yeah. it's it, there's so many restaurants out there, so many so many people, you know, kicking and screaming about not being able to find enough people to come work in their restaurant. And you're you're absolutely right. It's like the best way to find or to build a team is to to not lose the people that are working for you right now and build on that, you know? 
we're we're working restaurants are going to naturally be people that are going to graduate college they're going to go on to to you know find a different career or or something like that but you know if, if you can get beyond that uh, internally and focus on building up individuals and aspects of their life that they can carry on to whatever field that they end up in and you're you're really really focused on helping that person grow as an individual then they're going to be grateful for it and they're going to stick with you until the time does come that they leave but i can't tell you how many people that 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 I've had the the pleasure of working with in the past that have gone on to be nurses or you know work in other different fields that have come back and said you know I learned so much about how to treat other people by working in the restaurant that it really helped set me up for success and you hear that story from all sorts of different people and you know if it's it's about creating those relationships and about focusing on your team and having that that leadership mindset, that servant leadership mentality to where you're just looking to benefit the people that are working for you and not worried about yourself and what the outcome for yourself may be, then that's really the only way to lead. I think that servant leadership is just a redundancy. It's It's just leadership. It's the way that we treat people. Do you guys use any kind of like personality profiling when when getting franchisees in and or when do you provide those kinds of tools? If yes, do you provide those kinds of tools for uh, your managers too when they're looking at employees? So we we've we've uh, we've played around with a few things over the years. We have primarily used it for franchise groups and for um, the general managers of restaurants sure. to kind of support in picking out the right. Uh, top leaders within each one of these uh, each one of these restaurants and and uh, what we're using right now is a disc uh, assessment so you know it re- because we really want to know the type of person competency to us is something that can be taught along the way and there's many of those personality tests that really kind of lean into more of what the person's going to be competent at we want to know what's going on inside of them. We want to know, it, it, you know, where they kind of map out within that and then use that as a building block to kind of choose the right person. Because, as you, I mean, if you're familiar with DISC, you know that it's more about mapping out how people work together and the the types of person that, that we're trying to bring into different levels. So, you know, if, for example, if we've got, somebody that's a franchise owner we know they're they're a a, you know heavy in the d category well you know they may work better with somebody that's more supportive at the restaurant more of an s so taking all those things into consideration and that's not always a foolproof plan either because you know somebody you know my my assessment says that i have you know 55 percent d but i much more prefer to have somebody that's working with me that's also a d because I like the way that we can think of things uh, together in alignment. So it's interesting, you know, we've, 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 uh, we've kind of played with a couple others um, in the past, Myers-Briggs, things like that. Um, But it's, at the end of the day, uh, the information is only as good as how you're going to utilize it and what you're really trying to gain from it. Um, knowing that, you know, personality tests are only going to get you so far and, you know, the way that you use that information to help, um, 
have better interviews, more meaningful interviews that ask the questions that kind of lead you in those directions. Like that's where the win is in it for me. Um, but to answer your question, we do use the disc um, and we use it as a form of encouragement, obviously with uh, franchise groups being the primary source of ownership within walk-ons. Yeah, there is certain lines that we can't overstep as far as co-employer and things like that. So we use it as a form of encouragement. We offer that as a resource uh, to to the restaurants currently to help them build management teams. Uh, but it's not it's not necessarily something that um, we use exclusively um, because there are some lines there. Yeah, and you know, I would say like I went through the Ritz Carlton. Um, was it Ritz Carlton? I think it's Ritz Carlton. The Ritz Carlton training back in like 2002 from a company, like a customer service training company. And yeah. they have all those materials. And and one of the big things was, you know, listening to the question types that people ask, questions that people would ask you, and then utilizing the data you're getting from those questions to put them into a uh, personality type, if you will. Just similar to this, but this would be more like analytical versus, you know, versus emotional versus you know empathetic or whatever but the idea wasn't that the idea was that if someone came to you and said well how many ounces are in that steak they were they were cooling themselves off as an analytical they needed to know how many mm -hmm. ounces were in that steak so then they could make a decision of whether or not the steak would work for them so they needed you to say 10 or above ounces so they could go cool i want that steak uh, but the so, idea was that you excluded people with that. It was just that you'd be able to cater your service subliminally to them because you knew that the guy was, as soon as the guy said 12 ounces or, you know, if somebody said, do you really like that steak? Like, is that your favorite steak? They just needed whatever personality type that was. They just needed you to give them what they needed to help them make a decision. Right? Oh, that's my favorite steak. You know, love it. And so... It's not so much like, like you said, like you, it's not so much about excluding or including on a team. Like I got to have more D's or more K's or whatever, right? Like it's more about going, hey, uh, that person's a D. So I need to adjust how I communicate and interact with them to allow them to help them get to where I need them to get and, and give them what they need to help make, you know, make them a better person, right? So, but yeah. I do love the idea that you guys are using something because if you're not using something then it's just all like guesswork right like and the problem <laughs> is is that some people are really good at reading people they're like high empath and they can just go oh yeah i can totally get that person's vibe and energy but 95 percent of us aren't that person and we just need to build a team of effective people and part of being effective is knowing how to you know work with people right so i think that's really cool yeah, it's uh, it th those things, those personality tests, regardless of whichever one you take, they are much, uh, much better utilized for helping people communicate well, and uh, for self improvement. You know, I've I've taken so many of those tests over the years that uh, you know, at the end of the day, I know that we can't conclude. A conclude whether or not somebody's going to be a right fit strictly based on their personality profile. But what I do know is how much it has personally helped me balance the way that I approach things and, and watch for, you know, blind spots in the way that, that I communicate. And 
the way that that I like to lead and work together with other people. It, it's really helped me a great deal in that regard. And that's the way that we try to use it to help others. Sure. Well, and I think, I hope anyone who's listening to this podcast knows, but like, I hope people are taking advantage of all the different data points you can get today in the world, on everything that you do. And so you don't have to rely on the gut feel and the experience some guy had in the 70s to make decisions. You can actually just make data-driven decisions, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, and it makes decision-making easier to make data-driven decisions because because you're not having to just, like, it's when you have data, it's a a lot of the time, not all the time, you know, you're not just sitting there going, ah. B, go B. I don't know. You know, like blue wire, no green wire, cut the green wire. And then, you know, everything explodes. At least with some data points, you can go, let's just cut the blue wire and see how this all plays out, you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a balance. Um, You know, we all have intuition that we can't help but know that that is going to be part of our decision making process as well. But, you know, how you balance yourself in looking at at different points of data to really kind of challenge your own initial thought process, because you're absolutely right. I mean, I've I've been in situations where there wasn't anything that existed and it was all based on better judgment. And, you know, what we would do is just send somebody through a couple different interviews. But, you know, I, I think as people, we all tend to gravitate towards people that uh, intrigue us, whether it's because they they kind of remind them, uh, they remind of ourselves of that person or whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, or, or we're intrigued by them because they're so different than us, you know, and, but either way, we're, we're creating some sort of bias there that's going to exist that's, that could potentially harm the process altogether so having that kind of structure that safety net of data and points is is certainly uh valuable so going on to your whole training i'm gonna shift gears to your training part of your job so you know i don't know if you know much about our platform or not but our platform is a sort of we call it operations management platform and it we just try to take the guesswork out of running the business and it's a series of checklists and forms and logs and all that kind of stuff that are scheduled, mm. you know, so that the guys on the floor don't have to remember, uh, did I turn the radio on? They can just go look at a listing. Oh yeah. Turn the radio on. So turn the radio, on, you know, or mm. hit the light on or prep the wings or make this sauce or taste it or whatever it is. But, when you guys come to, to one of the things that I always feel like go hand in hand with, I think our platform really marries nicely to training um, mm-hmm. platforms and, and works with training because the problem that I saw as an operator is, is that you can field a training test, if you will. You know, hey, we're, we're changing the procedure on this. Here's a test. People can test out, right? And, and you can get 100% reply on, man, my training was amazing because everyone got 100% on the test, but then it doesn't change the behavior. So I'm curious what you guys are doing today to to kind of drive behavior change and and hand in hand with that training. Well, I mentioned it a little bit earlier is, you know, we we see behavior as outward expression of of what's going on in hearts and minds. And, and, you know, that when, when looking at training, 
first and foremost, it's vitally important to be very thorough and detailed in you know every aspect of what we're looking to achieve as the end goal, right? We can't give somebody vague instructions and then expect to have synchronized approaches to the way that we want to handle our business. That's first and foremost, and so detailing all that out. But then everything else, to me, it, it's it's really about salesmanship. How well are we getting people to buy into what we're trying to accomplish? So people have to understand the whys. And I know that's been kind of become a catchphrase, you know, sure. the Simon Sinek book and all that. But I mean, it really holds true is that if people are not emotionally bought into doing something the way that you're asking them to do it, the likelihood of them replicating the behavior that you're looking for is very, very bleak, regardless of, of how well it's spelled out. Sure. You know, so if somebody doesn't understand what, why it's important for, for them to do it for, for the business. They don't understand why it's important for them to do it personally, how it's going to benefit them, you know, what, what they could potentially gain from it, um, you know, how much easier it is for them to execute a certain way if we're going through a transition of change. Uh, you know, there's if we don't look at it from that angle and really get the perspective of the person that's actually applying this knowledge and understand what it's going to take for them to buy into it, then, I mean, <laughs> we can have all the great ideas of the world, put everything right and all down and everything can be very articulate. But if we don't get people to buy into it, it doesn't really matter a whole lot because it's not going to be performed the way that we envision it. And, you know, the, I, the idea portion of it, if not galvanized to, to produce a, produce the, what we want by that buy-in, it's just, it just never amounts to much. Yeah. I think so much of that too is just getting the manager to buy in, you know, oh, for sure. because if you, you got to start with, it's almost like all training has to go through the GM and the managers, and then they've got to get on the same page. Are we going to do this? Right. Because Absolutely. And then, yeah. And then they can start enforcing it down because it's tough. You're right. It's hard. It's hard to move the execution at the store level, unless you have a platform or a tool that kind of manages that already this to try to drive new behavior change into the system it's it's brutal oh yeah and we i mean we've we've got every every checklist in the world for sure but you know at the end of the day we we've got consistent recipes across the board too right and but that doesn't mean that if you go into one of our restaurants you're going to get the exact same burger that you got in the last restaurant we want that and you know it, it's sad to admit that to it to a degree but if the buy-in isn't from exa exactly what you said, isn't from that manager first and foremost, that is then leading their team to buy into that same thing and cook that burger with the exact same sear, the exact same seasoning, the exact same toast on the bun, fresh ingredients, all of those things. If the team's not bought into that, then when push comes to shove and, the, and they're put into a, a wreck of a Friday night, you know, where they're just getting rolled up. That's that's when the buy-in matters. That's when the motive behind the person making that burger and the manager that's validating that process. That's when that's the where the true test is, and that's 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 really where we focus our attention. Yeah, it's so true, right? Like, it, it's all it, it's like 
I was talking about this in like battles, like the battle plan goes out the window within the when the first shots fired. But yeah, it's training doesn't matter when that when it's a slow day and everything's going cool, you know. It it matters when you're uh when yeah, when you got a 45 minute wait and something broke and like you know, the whole world's exploding around you. And yeah, then it, it, you can like start execute you can get into your execution mode and just go you know right and that's when people take shortcuts and things like that but the, the, i mean the reality of the situation in those in those points and those you know those times of adversity is that that's when we are creating the most experiences for our guests and our teammates it's in those moments and if it goes awry during those times that's when you know the guest leaves and, and leaves us a bad Google review, which is seen by how many people, you know, it's, it's those, those times that are most adverse are usually the times where we have the greatest level of influence uh, within everybody that we connect with. So crazy. Um, okay, cool. Hey, right, that wraps up question number one. Let's go to question number two. <laughs> I highly disciplined i've been on some like i get interviewed a lot too and i've been on some highly disciplined shows where i'm i'm repeating sentences and starting over not this show man this show's just like talking uh i like it i like it question number two what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now uh so initiatives right now focused uh going into 2023 and you know that obviously everybody's known the uh, the roller coaster ride that the last few years have been um is we're we're revamping a few things on our menu to really to focus in and hone in on the things that we know that guests order most frequently so we're reducing our menu size um and then we're going to offer some more um uh, affordable uh, menu items as well because we know you know in this in in these times liquidity of income is, is starting to reduce. So um, being wise and offering some some uh, different options that may be a little bit more affordable. Uh, so menu, menu transition, that's been a big point uh, of focus for us going into this new year, um, along with technology um, from a standpoint of making ease of ordering on online platforms and, and things like that a lot simpler as well as uh, you know, giving giving our teams uh, some more fluid uh, technology at the restaurant level, specifically talking about to-go orders that allow for those orders to go back to the kitchen a little bit easier and there's less steps to it. Just trying to free our team up to be able to really focus and hone in on, on you know, excellence when it comes to the accuracy of orders, the quality of food, things like that, and, you know, trying to take away some of those more pressure points. So, you know, it's not going to be a situation where we are going to do what, you know, restaurants have done in the past where we go and just do crazy discounts on everything and things like that. Like we stand behind our quality, um, but we think we can offer it maybe just a little bit differently to try to combat some of these headwinds that we, that we see just through the economy. So that's, that's what's going on on the training end. And then on the culture end, um really focusing and keying in on great stories that are happening within our restaurants so talked about the walk-ons way earlier 
you know, that's, that's really, that's what we call our, our cultural movement that we have here. It's an ongoing focus that uh, right now we're really seeking out stories that are happening within restaurants of people that are just doing things that that go above and beyond and making those really special spotlights. So the, the, founder of our company has been uh, traveling out to restaurants and really celebrating these stories with these teammates unbeknownst to them. We just show up and, and, you know, give them that recognition and it comes along with some, some, you know, prizes and things like that as well. But it's really about keying in on what it means to be a walk on finding those stories and then sharing those stories with society because our belief is that, there are many, many brands out there trying to become lifestyle brands. Um, but, you know, our belief internally is that if we create a culture that is so strong that starts to impact society, that's that's where a lifestyle is born. And that's the approach that we're going to take. So, you know, sharing those stories of what's going on out there. I mean, uh, so just give you a few examples. We had a young lady who won a sales contest for us and she won a gift card by by winning that sales contest. Well, this is around the holiday season last year and they had um, a Toys for Tots box at, at the restaurant. So that young lady took her winnings from the sales contest, immediately went out, purchased a bunch of toys and filled up that box. You know, she, she took that money that could have been hers to spend on whatever she wanted to spend it on. She chose to to buy a bunch of toys for kids uh, that are underprivileged and, and uh, filled up that box with that. So, that was a really cool story. We've got another story of a, of a, a brewer that this is story is about to be released. Um, he's a, a local brewer in, in uh, Lubbock and he um, had a dream of starting his own brewery and on the back of our napkins at our restaurants, they, there's a little place that says, you know, write, write your story here. And, you know, on the front of the napkin is the first layout of our first walk-ons. And, you know, we want to encourage other people to dream big and to, to you know, live out their own dreams. So on the back of the napkin, it encourages them to do that. And this, this, uh, this gentleman decided to take that opportunity to write out his dream on the back of the napkin. And that's really where it launched into what is his reality now and his, uh, his own brewery. And we, we actually carry his beer on tap at, at our Lubbock restaurant. And uh, so we went out and, and kind of engaged with that story as well. And it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome, but that's just a few examples of, of what we're doing and recognizing what's going out, what's going on in our walk-ons world so that we can really tell people what's, what's important to us. Do you guys like, I don't know, you probably don't mandate it, but do you guys like preach or do you believe in pre-shift meetings where the manager gets out and, and has a quick, hey, this is what's 86 and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. So every every one of our pre-shifts, um, we have a dedicated time to talk about restaurant-specific things uh, where, you know, we get into the information of what's, you know, what's going on there. If there's an item 86, hopefully not, but you know, if there's a sales contest going on or whatever. Uh, But at that time, we also take the opportunity to share public recognition and we encourage all of our restaurants to do that with what we call wow cards. And that's where we, we take an element of what, what's in our culture and we 
and we uh, tell the story behind it and just, you know, recognizing the public, we, we're strong believers that public recognition will lead to behaviors being, you know, replicated out there amongst the team. You know, it, it's one thing to make somebody feel really special by being recognized in front of their peers, but the, you know, the, the other portion of that is that we're also setting an expectation for everybody that's in observance of that recognition. And all of those things are key and related back to our core values and our guiding principles so that we're constantly reiterating that message and, you know, you know really feeding that growing uh, tree within each restaurant that is our culture. So we'll definitely take that opportunity there. Yeah, we did that too. And I thought that was such a good, that, that I thought made such a huge difference because I, so I have like, I'm kind of a biased person because I worked at like, uh, I worked at a big brand that had very strong culture for a while, but then like it wasn't being lived at by the GM of the restaurant that I worked at, but I, I was like a national trainer. I opened stores, you know, the whole thing. So like I was totally bought in. I was like, Oh yeah, I got this. Like I'm the man. Like I, you know, this is, this would be my career uh, at the time. And, um, and I always got like frustrated because when you put culture training out there, you open yourself up for when your team members don't live up to that culture and like nothing happens to them. You know, then everyone goes, oh, well, this is all BS. Right. And then that gives them an excuse to be a bad actor. Right. Because oh, yeah. they're, they're not doing this, if, you know. And but then when you live culture, which I feel like that's the only way you can experience culture is to live it. And I think the pre-shift meeting is the perfect place to do it. And what you said was just like music to my ears, because that is the best time to announce like right before the shift starts. Hey, let's call out Bob because Bob crushed it yesterday and got a great comment card for doing this aspect of things. And like those it like made those people's day and they were having a rough day and, you know, like that's when people you get them all pumped up right before the shift and you're you're praising someone publicly it's the best so yeah. I, and i pulled i call that out because i want people to realize the power of those pre-shift meetings it's not just to say 86 sweet potato fries it's actually there to set the tone for the shift you know yeah yeah and uh we end every single pre-shift with what we call a rumble which is our ritual that that we run into to every single shift uh, after after rumbling, and what basically that is, it, the rumble actually is what brought me onto walk-ons. It's what you know gave me the first step towards leaving a brand that I'd been with for more than a decade to come and, and be a walk-on. As I was in one of the walk-ons restaurants, a local one of our local restaurants that actually went on to to work at that restaurant as a GM. Um, I was dining in there and I could hear this disturbance coming from the back of the restaurant and I, I didn't know what it was. So I asked the server, server's name was Lawrence now. And she, she, uh, asked her, I said, well, what, what was that? She said, well, that's our rumble. I was like, okay, well, what, what is, what does that mean? You know, like I didn't, I didn't know what that was. And she said, well, it's a point in time at the end of our pre-shift where we set aside ourselves as individuals we slam on the tables we have our rally cry but once we leave that room we leave as a team we leave as a unit and not as individuals any longer and i thought that was so cool because i had been with in precious for a long time you know we had i've seen different types of rally cries 
nothing so robust as that. Like the restaurant was shaking. And I mean, when done right, that's how it works. Um, I, had, I hadn't seen such a unifying message that was related to it. In fact, that the server was able to explain it in that way to me, I knew it was real. I knew it wasn't just, you know, window dressing. And it, it was, it was so awesome. And that's, that's, that's a big, big part of, uh, you know, like I said, that was the first step towards this. I was texting an old buddy of mine that, uh, that worked for walk-ons and, you know, just kind of laying it out there like, Hey, if you ever, uh, you ever looking for somebody, I may, I may, I may have some interest. So it's such a, it's such an amazing and impactful thing. And it's crazy to think, you know, when I, when we do things like that and when we're consistently living out our culture, we don't know who we could be impacting in that moment. That team had no idea that that was leading to a career decision for me. Um, but it did, you know, and I think that, you know, sometimes we got to think about how we could potentially be impacting other people and why it's so important to, to carry forward true and represent, you know, who, who you truly are as a brand as it was then for me yeah that's actually like an incredibly that's a super cool story because you, you don't you're right those people that were doing that, that living that moment within the business they didn't know yeah. that they were bringing on somebody that was actually looking for a new job because you know the thing too you have to remember i think in the restaurant industry is that Probably the, the people that are the biggest uh, consumers of restaurants are people who work in the restaurant industry. You know, every day when the walk-ons closes, everybody goes across the street to the next, to the bar that's open later and they all go have a beer. You know what I mean? And yeah. they're in there talking good and man, we made so much money today. Could you believe that line? That's how you recruit people from one restaurant to another. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, there's there's definitely a subset culture that exists amongst everyone that works in the restaurant industry, and and there's so much influence that happens at the bar at you know one thirty in the morning after after somebody's worked a shift that kind of does that that uh, that natural recruiting for you for sure. Oh man, yeah. Cool. So what's number three? Question number three. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Man, it's uh, you know, it, it it's it's a couple things. Um, one one obvious, I think, is obvious for everybody, and that is you know what's going on uh, with just the greater economy and how that could potentially impact our business. Um, you know, when people have decisions to make within their own family budgets, how are we going to fit in there if if that squeeze becomes uh, more and more? You know, we did see gas prices and things like that directly impacting the flow of, of traffic to restaurants. I mean, but that's that's natural, and I think that's something that everybody is kind of uh, keyed in on. Um, but the other piece to me is just what are our leaders doing in our restaurants, and you know, how can we continue? to really live uh, through these men and women that have the responsibility of, of creating great work environments, creating ones that, that, you know, are, are safe for our guests or our teammates. And what I mean, safe, I mean, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that go beyond serving somebody food 
that uh, that that takes a, a great deal of, of follow up and intricacy in making sure that you know everything is being served well. And you know, I think we definitely have that in all of our restaurants. But you know, that's always an ongoing uh, thing. Is like our are our leaders following up on every single expectation? Are they influencing their teams to behave in a way that's that's in lockstep with with who we are? And I know based on our conversation thus far, that's everything that we've really talked about. Um, but it is truly always at top of mind because it is, you know, it is where the rubber hits the road. You know, we like you said earlier, we can we can preach these things from an office. Um, but if it's not being bought into by first and foremost every leader amongst our teams and then every teammate on those teams, um, you know, and, and the creating the right experiences for our guests, then that's where we're gonna struggle. And it's it's really it really I wouldn't say keeps me up at night, but it's always at top of mind when it comes to to focus because I know that. Nothing that we do, nothing that we put on paper really matters if it's not being lived out on a daily basis. So I would I would say that that is maybe not keeping me up at night, but definitely priority number one. And I think we're we've certainly been fortunate to bring people into our family, into our team of WAPONs that that do things for the right reasons and are very diligent in, in their approaches to the day. So that's why I would say it doesn't keep me up at night, but it's always something that I know if lost focus on for a moment could go awry immediately. And, you know, that's, that's why it's always got the, my first thought of the day. Well, and I, I, I'll be like, so we eat out a lot, you know, uh, we've actually tapered it down quite a bit as a matter of fact, which I think is interesting um, because coming from the restaurant industry, my wife worked in restaurants too, um, you know, and also yeah. we were busy too, both on our own companies and we both we have two young kids. And so we eat out quite a bit because, you know, we just don't have bandwidth all the time. Um, but having said that, I am so personally sick and tired of paying top dollar for things and not getting the value for the experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I went to a, uh, you know, and it's funny because it's just one of those things, right? Where like, you know, you don't know until you've already paid the bill if it was worth it or not, right? Like you don't know until the very end when you write the, pay the tip and, you know, sign your credit card slip and move on whether or not it was worth it. And and the value, it comes from the quality of the food and the service, right? In my mind, because I would, you know, I spent $60 at a breakfast chain and the whole family got diarrhea and we were and i will never go back there again and they're like right across the street from my house and it, you know we, that was the most expensive 60 dollars ever and then we took a client out to dinner and we spent 800 dollars at a crab restaurant and i was like i could have paid a thousand i would have been totally happy because every aspect was perfect right but i've also yeah. spent 30 bucks and everything was perfect and it was wonderful as well so i'm not saying it's the cost it's not the cost, right? It's not the actual money. I think it's like, there are a lot of chains right now that are, are not able to deliver on their service promise and they're over-engineering their menus, trying to get everything cheaper and make it more 
you know, cost effective, right? For yeah. them. Um, and and things get lost in that. You know what I mean? The the tastiness of the food gets lost in that. If you don't have a good team and you're not training them and you're not hiring the right people, then your service goes down. And when those things happen, it gets very hard. You know, the, the customer feels that that pinch, you know. And if they walk out of your business and they go that there was no value there, they're just not going to come back, right? And that's what I think. I think that's what we're doing personally, not as like a person in the restaurant industry, but as like a consumer. If somebody nails me and I feel like I got cheated, I just don't go back. And, yeah. and you know, I'm I know I'm not the only one. You know what I mean? So no, no, that's definitely it. And I mean, you know, research that 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 we look at today, it's interesting to see the shift in value perspective from the consumer standpoint is that it's much more related to um, hospitality now than I think that I've ever seen it because I've kept an eye on this for a long time. And I think to your point, there's so many brands out there that are going, well, if I want to increase my value perspective, I need to discount my food or I need to make my portion smaller so I can make the menu price cheaper. And, you know, I've always been so grateful uh, to, to this company because our focus has always been on quality, you know, and yeah, we're going to offer some things that are maybe a little bit cheaper on this new menu, but it's creation of a new menu item that doesn't currently exist. We're not, we're not changing any portion sizes on what we currently have. We are leveraging those things in because we do want to encourage people to still dine with us, even if they don't think that they can afford it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the restaurant world, while, you know, menu prices probably haven't followed the same exact percentage um, of inflation as like grocery stores have, but we're, we're not, we're not, uh, you know, we're not uh, safe from it either. You know, the menu prices are going up. Uh, I think probably for every restaurant at this point, some more than others, but it's not, it's not the, the, the shock of the ticket price at the end of the dining experience, like you're talking about, it's everything that you notice, uh, you know, whether or not you had a friendly server, whether or not your food was prepared uh, accurately and was, it was enjoyable and delicious meal that, you know, you come to expect and going out to eat. Now that those are the things that are driving value. It's not whether or not you can get uh, a burger for seven ninety nine anymore, or whatever it used to be. I guess back in the day, but you know, was that burger prepared properly? Was your server kind, courteous, and and really seeking to to add value to your dining experience? Those are the things that people are keying in on, and it's become more and more evident. As you know, ticket prices have become higher uh, within restaurants, really across the board. And that's not just speaking of walk-ons. That's that's research that's being conducted by you know some of our some of our uh, partners that 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 give us that information. So it's it's a lot. There's there's a lot riding on the experience right now. And yeah. you're absolutely right. Once you get burned, you're not going to go back because. Yeah, things are expensive and you don't, you know, people can't afford to give people second and third shots where they may have in the past. The one thing I would say to all of that is 
is if, you know, we, we work in restaurants, we're going to make mistakes. Things go crazy. Sometimes it just happens. But if you are not, it's how, what's you, that? It's how you handle it. It's, all, it's how you handle it. Exactly. It's and that's, always been that way it, though. Like if you, huge and take care of somebody and guess what? They're, they'll walk out happy. People get yes. this. They're not perfect. What they can't stand is ambivalence to their pain. Oh, I'm exactly. in here spending my money and you're not going to fix this. Now you're on the defensive, right? Like, yeah. Um, but you said something perfectly that I'm going to actually quote uh, and other things that I'm doing. People like, because I've always been going off of, right? The like what we've seen in research and what, from reading and, you know, whatever that like, it, it used to be prior to this inflation and this weird economy we're in, right? That yeah. you would give somebody on average about three chances to get it right, you know, before right. you started to make a change in your uh, visit behavior is what I'll say. So mm -hmm. because in, anyone who listens to this show a lot knows I say this all the time, but, you know, generally it's not one giant thing. Like you didn't get like a pirate's finger in your pasta and then I can never eat there again. It's generally a lot of death by a thousand cut things. The table was sticky. The bathroom didn't have soap or paper towels. You didn't get your, you didn't get ketchup. So your fries got cold. You know, it's not any one of those little things doesn't really kill the meal experience completely. But when you get five or 10 of them in a row, then all of a sudden you go, eh, you leave with kind of a bad feeling, right? But right. prior to this stupid economy, on average, people were willing to give people three shots at that. You know, they were willing yep. to talk up the first one as, uh, hey, this is, um, this is, uh, you know, didn't, uh, you know, this was just one of those fluke accidents, right? Then you go the second time and you're like, oh, I don't know, this place is kind of going downhill. And then you might go a third time. And then if the same stuff happens, you go, no, I'm done for a while. I'm not going to come back on my normal cadence of returning, which it could be once a day, once a week, once a year. Right. But now you said it. It's now people, because money's tight, they're giving you one shot at it. Right. Yeah. Really interesting. And you know that. It to get back to, to your recovery point, like if that's that throughout my restaurant career, the best regulars that I ever had probably started with the most risky of situations when it comes to their dining experience. But, you know, if somebody has a poor experience, you know, maybe we mess something up. Maybe the soup comes out cold. Maybe I don't I don't know, whatever it may be, there's obviously a laundry list of potential yeah. things that could go wrong in a restaurant. But if you take care of that person and you make it right yes. uh, and, and really, truly make it right for them, don't you, you know, uh, oh, I'll cop that off for you. Or, yeah, like you said, ambivalence to the situation. Like it's not about that money, the money on the ticket. I mean, we've already established that. If you make that person feel like you've truly recovered them, that's where your opportunity is to create a fan. That's yep. where your opportunity, because what that person also has now is that safety net of knowing that even if something does potentially go wrong, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're going to leave that restaurant happy because the team there is going to make it right. And that is more secure than trying out a new restaurant, right? Because you know, 
probably going to walk-ons, even, you know, not that we mess up all the time, but if, you know, even that one time when they did make a mistake, they went so far to make sure that I was taken care of, that I got the, you know, the mistake corrected, that they followed up with me multiple times. On top of that, they, you know, they gave me a free appetizer next time, whatever, whatever it may be. And really that's, I mean, the way that you make those decisions is really going to be based on the interaction that happens at the table or at the bar. But if you, if you do that, like that's, that's the person that's leaving and going, Hey, you know what? They overcooked my steak a little bit when I went in there, but they got me out of fresh one. They took care of my drink for, you know, a round of drinks for me and my friends, or, you know, they did whatever it takes to really make that person feel like they're, they're important. Then that those are the people that come back time and time again, and they bring their friends and they're like, you know what? Walk-ons is doing it the right way. They are hospitable people that just want you to have a great dining experience. If you can establish that regardless of whatever restaurant concept we're talking about here, like those are the people that win. Those are the people that win regardless of economic impacts. Those are the people that are going to win your guests away from you if you're not doing the same things. Absolutely. And like, and you know, and a lot of it too is, Sure, comping some people. Sometimes you got to comp some stuff, but you don't always have to comp stuff. Yeah. You know, you, really, it's going over there going, "Hey, we we first of all, it's owning it. We biff this. Sorry, yep. totally our fault. What can I do to make it right for you? Or, hey, yeah. I'd like to do this. Will that make it right for you? We were at a very fancy restaurant. We took our employees down to Charleston. We went to some very fancy restaurant down there, and the waiter forgot to put our second round of drinks in. You know, so then everyone started getting their entrees and like then the next round of drinks wasn't there. And, and he walked up and he said, it, guys, it's completely on me. I totally forgot to ring in that second round of drinks. I'm ringing it in right now and I'm going to buy them for you. Okay. I'm really sorry. And you know what? I mean, it was, it was a very expensive meal, but everyone was cool with it. Like no one was complaining because like the guy owned it. Part of it too is just owning the actual mess up. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, such a long way. I rang this in wrong or, you know, it, whatever it is, but like, yeah, just own it and solve it. And then people have a story. The whole world just wants a story. They want to justify where they go and what they spend their money on based off of a story of some kind. Period. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. If the story is they screwed up my order last time and then they made it right. And so I keep coming back because I know that they took care of me. That story is just as good as any other story that, you know, they could tell about you. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got a story about something that got messed up at one of their dining experiences. And if it wasn't corrected, like they're keeping that in the back of their mind, they're going, wait a minute, you went there and they went that far to make sure that your experience was turned around. Like, it's it's so crazy you know you said something about uh, you know responsibility taking responsibility for whatever mistake may happen and i i was involved in a meeting one time talking to to a bunch of people i think there were some consultants and stuff like that there we were talking about guest recovery and one of them had the stance that you never say you never apologize because then you assume responsibility. He said that out loud. And I was, I was so floored 
and I couldn't help but just, and I, I try not to object when people are offering <laughs> opinions, you know, I like to hear them out, but I couldn't, I couldn't even hold my tongue on that. I was like, that's the exact point. You do apologize to assume responsibility and you should always apologize in a way that the person understands that you are owning the responsibility of what, what just happened, like to avoid that, to try to, you know, play some sort of risk uh, avoidance. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it was like, it, it absolutely blew me away. And this was somebody that, that had been in the restaurant world and, and was a consultant of it, which is, I was just floored at that perspective. You know, it's interesting. I've heard that too before. You say, instead of saying like, I'm sorry that this happened, you say, I regret that this happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it, it was some sort of mystical creature that overcooked yeah. the burger. Yeah. Forgot that, to ring the first thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something else happened. Not my bad. Um, no, that is interesting. They, um, yeah, that is a good one. I, and I, I kind of see where you're going. I mean, like, you know, the pressure's on right now. Yeah. Like the pressure's been on the restaurant industry really. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, the pressure's been, I mean, it's been hard to run restaurants 2015 to 2020. But I mean, 2020, like it ramped up the pressure on the industry. And then we were all hopeful summer 21 that we would get a great summer out of it. Right. And then of course the government screwed that up by giving everybody money to stay home. And then, you know, 2022 happens and all of a sudden you had a decent year, but then now we've got these other things we're contending with, but we've had like two solid years of like critical level operating. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It, where it's just been, it's brutal right now. I mean, because, and also I don't magically understand how some people don't have to work. It doesn't make any sense to me. It, um, <laughs> I, I'm like aging myself. I'm some old fuddy duddy now, but I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, you magically don't need a job. Like, how is this working? Um, but besides <laughs> all that, it's been a, an incredibly hard external operating market with a lot of things being thrown at operators that just, you know, are being amped up, right? But this is also the time where you have to have systems and training and culture to rally behind because the people that are going to die during these periods of time right now are the people who don't have the systems who don't have the culture and who don't have um you know they just don't have the acumen to be able to adapt to what's the world's changing to be right now you know what i mean yeah you got to have that stable foundation of, of, of those markers and if you don't you're you're going to you're going to have a very tough time getting through yeah. getting through right now yeah yeah because it's just it's unprecedented times and every day you're waking up going oh wow what are you going to throw at me today triple the gas prices we got to make corn you know corn corn crops going to get destroyed by some monster storm and now we're not going to have corn you know like what's right. next <laughs> chickens uh, chickens being euthanized by the millions because we can't manufacture them yeah yeah, just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just this the whole world's just full of insanity right now. Um yep. all right. Question number four. What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Oh, I'm sorry, one, one more time. What was sorry? That? <laughs> what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Oh. You know, it's 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 tough to say as an industry 
Um, I think that we're all kind of following the same patterns and in, in trying to focus attention on, you know, the basics. I think that, I think that this, this kind of shocked the world back into really focusing on, on the basics and trying to drive incremental sales through things like takeout and, and, you know, additional beverage sales and things like that. I think that's kind of where the industry's uh, been heading here recently. And, you know, we're, we're, we're doing some of those same things, but what do I think that, you know, they would be doing right now that they're not doing? Yeah. It's, I guess it circles back to everything that we've kind of been talking about is it still baffles me how many people in our industry are not focused on, on being more of those servant leaders. Like you still have a lot of people out there that have some of that old school mentality where it's coerce and compel somebody to do something. And, you know, just kind of for, force them into to to making something happen the right way. I mean, I I don't think that that, that this is you know <laughs> a new age philosophy of uh, that you know getting people to buy into doing things appropriately is the best way to ensure that they do it consistently. But for whatever reason, I still see it time and time again. Just you know, working with leaders in the restaurant. Their knee-jerk reaction is to try to force something to happen rather than spend the time to teach somebody how to do something right and then get them to buy into why to do it that way. It, it's so crazy to me to think of how many of our leaders still banging their heads against the wall in the office because they can't figure out why people aren't doing things right. They never spent the time to show them how to do it the right way and why it's important. I, it, it just, it baffles me. And I still see it, in, you know, in a multitude of ways, you know, I think that that plays out in its own unique pattern uh, a lot of different ways, but a lot of frustrated managers that, don't get that just because they're the manager, somebody's you know not going to just listen to them, salute and and go on and do exactly what they've asked them to do. It doesn't it doesn't work like that way, and I don't think it really ever truly has unless the uh, unless the the power is so strong and you know the workforce is so slim that nobody can find a job. I think that's probably the area in which that would work and you're just going to listen to your boss no matter how difficult it is like i don't think that we carry enough of that just uh, fortitude to just be able to tell somebody hey you have to do it this way because you're right you know what they're going to do they're going to quit and they're going to go right across the street and they're going to work for one of our competitors that may pay them a nickel or dime or a quarter more, but that's not really the reason that they're leaving. The reason that they're leaving is because their boss is a jerk and they can't figure out how to get people to do stuff without being a jerk. I, th I think it kind of lives on both sides of the spectrum. I, I'm a strong believer that you have your jerk managers and you have your kind of uh, wimpy managers, right? The jerk managers overcompensate. The wimpy managers are, 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 avoidant of conflict but if you've got a manager that takes the time to teach somebody how to do something appropriately and then holds them accountable in a mutually productive way to do that thing the way that they've asked them to do it then those are the leaders that people don't leave and i cannot figure out for the life of me 
why we still have, you know, those commanders that, that in place in some of our restaurants, it, it just, just blows my mind. And I can't believe that people haven't figured that out. And I don't even think that that's like a gen gen X or a, a gen Y or gen Z thing, a millennial thing. I think it's just the way that people are wired and the, uh, supply and demand of, of jobs has become such to where people can move on if they're in a situation where they're being led by somebody that they really would rather not be led by. Yeah. I, I think the problem is, is that servant leadership is really easy for some people and it is, it is just so foreign for others that they can't like. Yeah. You know, like it was easy for me. I, you know, but it's not easy for everyone. But then, then that comes back to well, we've got to train. Then we've got to make training for managers that says, "Hey, you're like an assertive person. This is yeah. how you have to learn how to communicate to get these these Gen X, Gen Z people to listen to you." You know? Yeah, and e even being assertive is not even necessarily a bad thing. I've seen some assertive leaders that have been the most uh you know admired um in in restaurants as well but you know what they are is they're very they're always very consistent and the people that they are asserting their authority onto always understand that the that that person has their best interest in mind and that's the difference it's not about how you come across and the way that you say things it's the understanding that the person that you're trying to lead, that you're doing it for their benefit. And if that person gets it, you can be the biggest jerk in the world, but or in the way that you say things. But if the person on the other end goes, you know what? This person is telling me these things for my benefit. I, I always take it back to parenting when trying to, you know, te teach uh, managers these lessons is that, you know, my kids, who do you think holds the, you know, gets the most level of accountability in my life it's my children right who you who do i who do i love more than anybody in my life it's my children but if i was just a jerk to them and i would just pick on them and you know i wasn't trying to teach them anything along the way they probably won't wouldn't want me to be their dad but since they understand that everything that i do everything that i you know instruct them on everything that i yell at them about i'm doing it because it's for their safety it's for their own good it's for their growth like there's that understanding there. And if we can achieve that as leaders, as parents do, then, then the sky's the limit because then you got people bought into you as an individual, as a leader, and they're going to do what you've asked them to do. And then they're going to go above and beyond that. And they're going to challenge you to be an even better leader. It's, it, I, I don't, I don't get why, why some people just have a, a tough time grasping that. And I have, yeah, I've seen some of the, harshest leaders be admired and adored because of how consistent and how others focused they were. Interesting. That's, that was a great, I really enjoyed that. Hey, so we're at question number five now. All right. What you got? Uh, give me a war story. Cringeworthy, funny. Can't believe we got through it. Can't believe this happened type of thing. Oh my gosh. So I was, uh, you know, I was thinking about this question, and and I think uh, to give context to to what we talked about earlier within the rumble, 
I, I wanted to share a story about walk-ons as a whole. So this rumble ritual, this started in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, <clears throat> and it was the, so that restaurant opened up on February 14th, which for any person that's been in the business understands that opening a restaurant day one on Valentine's Day is not the best way to uh, probably uh, achieve success off the bat, right? So it's going down in flames. The the restaurant is, is struggling. It's it's yeah, they're running long ticket times, like crazy long ticket times. Food's coming out. It looks like it's terrible, and you know there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of bad things going on. So it gets so bad to where the Man, general manager in the restaurant with, uh, you know, with encouragement by their, their uh, above restaurant leadership that was there, decides to fake a gas leak. So it got so bad that the restaurant decided to fake a gas leak and go out there into the dining room, of course, take care of all the guests, you know, make sure that the, that the meals are paid for, they have gift cards for next time, you know, all, all of that. But it was so bad that they shut it down. <laughs> and and in in that moment, like yeah, like Chef Ramsey shut it down. Like they they faked the gas leak and they shut it down. And after the guests had kind of cleared out, and you know everybody's just kind of looking defeated, everybody's kind of down and out. Um, that's when the leader said, you know, grab something, bang on something, break something, punch something, whatever you have to do get beyond the mindset that you're in right now so you know everybody looked around they're like we get to break stuff you know this was a great event right well they do that they start not trashing the place but really really beating the heck out of the kitchen and that led to a rally cry which became our rumble and that's where the rumble story was born was out of that restaurant that in adversity decided to dig deep, destroy everything. And in that moment, the rally cry was, we are tired of getting our butts whooped. We're going to go forth from this moment to go whoop some butt. And we're going to be, you know, with probably, you know, some other few choice words that, you know, try to uh, edit down a little bit, but, uh, and, and in that moment, that team moved forward beyond uh, their, their rumble and and move forward and had a very successful open and continues to be one of our most successful restaurants um but you know that i don't know how cringeworthy it is it is more of a a story of ritual and where that began but that rumble that you know years and years later gained my interest all started with a restaurant faking a gas leak and then telling their team to go berserk and just get their minds right and, and the rally cry that came from that became our rumble so I just wanted to, I wanted to share that. Well, thank you very much. That was a great story, Chris. And, and, uh, I think that was a great way to wrap up this, uh, this interview. Um, thank you for being on the show today and to all the listeners, we've got, uh, more episodes on the way. So please stay tuned. Thank you so much for having me, Tommy. Absolutely. Chris. Thank you.